Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. The first and goal, seventh play of this opening drive for the Rams. Goal. Plenty of time, lost it to the end zone, and touchdown, Robert Wood. Second and goal. Corner of the end zone, Josh Reynolds. Flag is down. If it stands, Reynolds scores it. He's got him for the touchdown. Does he ever? Mahomes to Hill. What a response. 25-yard touchdown catch for Hill. Just what the Chiefs need. He's going to run it straight in. Jared Goff. And Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin as we start the football hour. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! I could have played you 14 of those. I was about to say, the volume was so much last night, you could have gone on with that for the next segment. We started the show with all 14. It was just magnificent. It took two and a half minutes to get through all 14. I I loved it. Legitimately two and a half minutes. I absolutely loved it. I I was screaming at the TV. I didn't care who won, and it was just fantastic. That was a great game. It was so that much might have, football. That might have been the best regular season game last 10 years, last 15 years, can you say, in history? Outs- I would say this might be a safe statement for you. Outside of a team that you grew up caring about, potentially, as far as teams you don't care about, that might have been the most fun game of your lifetime. Yeah, that's I'm, a good one. I'm about 50, so it, it would get a little more dicey for me to say that. But for your age... That might be the most fun that you had watching game where you didn't actually give a damn about who won. No, I was I was yelling too. I was going back and forth. Every time I would go up to get another glass of wine and sit back down, somebody else would score. So I had another glass. <laughs> not fourteen glasses of wine. No, but it's just it was that was offensive explosion at its finest. I mean, that's Christmas morning, Christmas evening, whatever it is for NFL fans and you know, it's it's nice to see these types of games in prime time when it's on Monday Night Football and everybody can watch it. I rarely get like angry at anything for a regular season game. I mean, when say Mike McCarthy botches the clock, I, I'm just like, oh come on, man, come on. But as far as the yell at the TV when Tyree Kill decided to return that punt, yes, I was yelling, "What are you doing? Like, yep. why are you doing this to ruin your quarterback's chances of winning this game on one last magnificent final drive?" It was, the way it was going was so crazy <laughs> that when Los Angeles scored, I said, "This is great for the Chiefs 
because nobody could stop anybody. And then, you know, an arm gets hit and there's an interception and there, there was enough of, of that to make it sort of compelling that the defenses did make some plays, sort of made it even wilder to have the, the Rams get the defensive touchdowns and things like that. Uh, I so wanted just that one final drive for Mahomes because I love watching him play, but it was as good and as crazy and entertaining as a game. I know this will be one, Judd, in 2038. I'll be on YouTube rewatching. I mean, remember that game? 38, that's, 22, 2022. Well, no, he, he has to have the 20 years span. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, okay. that's his NFL film fetish. Right. Oh, that right. He has to, you know, go back to the <laughs> you 1992. You man. Yeah, you, you got to football him, him with basketball. It has to be far enough back so I don't remember all the details and then I can go like, that's right, that happened. Well, yeah, and other people don't remember the details, too. The the concern is a little bit, in a game like that, is, okay, how many games are going to turn into this, though? Because with the, the Big 12 football... It's like you sound oh, very Judd like right now. I know that's I do. a very Judd like. You sound like most defensive coordinators in the <laughs> yes, NFL yeah. right now. But Come as, on. as I was watching it and loving it and wanting it to be the Super Bowl really badly for entertainment purposes, I was thinking if every game starts to be 38-41 or into the 50s, that it will turn into the Big 12 and it will be kind of annoying and not special anymore. If every game is like that, the reason we love that so much is because even in a day and age of offense where it's just crazy and teams are scoring like mad, that it was still special. That was still complete madness and everyone tuned into it and loved it. But if next week it happens again, which it won't with the Titans, I don't think, but... Right, if it starts happening on a weekly basis, every national TV game is forty-one to thirty-eight, and it's like, oh, okay, it's you know, it's kind of crazy, but that's just sort of the sport now. I don't want that to happen. What if they reserve those type of games for primetime only? And you get like one a week. Would you be okay with that? If there, well, if there's one game a week that is complete madness that goes into the upper forties or fifties, I'm good okay. with that. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was a lot of there was a several defensive touchdowns in that game, is what I think the average fan who maybe didn't stay up to watch the whole thing sees that score and says 54 51 that's 7 on 7 out there i mean did you not see what aaron donald did last he night was a did you not see what yeah. the chiefs defensive line did yeah it was and, great i mean i mean d ford and how he re, uh, you know broke open the game at points i mean there's there was a lot of that and i think that the score is certainly not indicative of that unless right. you really understand what happened I feel like like your fear collar though sounds very much like something I would say about a game like that. And, and listen, I just sat there thinking this is just it's fabulous. I yelled at the TV twice uh, for for mistakes. The one, the first one, or it was not a mistake; it was actually a play call. The first one was when I realized that Sean McVay's way of trying to kill the clock is not to run the clock and grind it; it's to throw, it's to have Goff throw dangerous passes. Yeah, that one pass you threw, I'm like, what are you doing? And then you're like, oh my God, that's that's him. And the other one was when Mahomes passed up the obvious late check down. Mm-hmm. Like that receiver is still standing there basically saying, saying I'm, I'm open. I'm open, I'm open. <laughs> and Mahomes goes far and he's like, I know you're open, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and just right. launches it and it gets picked by Peters. And I was yelling, what are you? You've got it. Because the guy could have just stepped out, out of bounds. It was a perfect play. But as far as entertainment value goes, that was off the charts. It was just off the charts. Yeah, and and I will take one of those every so often. The one that we covered out in Los Angeles was nothing in comparison. It turns out to be right. We thought at the time that was was. at the time that was the best game. It was Week Four. Yeah, up until that point, that was the best game of the early part of the season. Thirty-eight. 31, I guess defense defense does win. Um, (laughs) Did it? Did it help too? Last because last night was it was 
because it was two nine and one football teams. Like if this oh, was sure. like yes. Oh, yes. if this was two four and six teams, it's yes. like ugh, gross. And that's and that's right. And that's part of the point here is I don't want to see every game turning into thirty eight thirty one that doesn't have good quarterbacks. So I, I wrote about this for last week with Sheldon Richardson, how he's a history buff, and where he and I related a lot was quarterbacks don't have to be tough anymore. And in a lot of ways, they don't have to be mentally tough. And often they don't even have to be that good. And that was his point where he said that there's a lot of quarterbacks in the league who put up numbers, who go to Pro Bowls, who he doesn't even consider good, that are that are soft quarterbacks who you should be able to intimidate, but you're not allowed to. And I know that's more of a rules point, but it's also like there is something to it when a team has a great defense that it can be really fun to watch. I got a lot of enjoyment out of watching Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks too. That's part of the game. Maybe that maybe I'm being the guy who's curmudgeoning here or something. Oh, you but, are, yeah. But I'm not against last night's game. That's the point. Like I sat there and loved it just as much as everyone else. I just don't want like Brock Osweiler to throw for three. It wouldn't be the That's same. That's fair. No, I mean it, it wouldn't be the it, same. If there's no stakes on it too. I mean, right. like Manny pointed out, you have two nine and one football teams. You have the AFC's best and the NFC's best. I think a lot of people preseason might have had these two teams as early candidates for the Super Bowl. And who knows? Maybe we will see this game again in February. I kind of doubt it. But I think the big thing here is that this was, this was, this is the new generation of the NFL, the new era, the offensive explosion, volume, a lack of balance, all the words that you hear thrown around the last few weeks. We heard it yesterday with Mike Zimmer talking about volume issues within the Vikings offense. These are two teams that said to hell with anything that anybody has any issues with in today's NFL. We're going to go out. We're going to play the style of football we want to play offensively, particularly and defense, too. I mean, the way that Wade Phillips has created this just you know, I don't even know what to call it. Monster, like just just what they do with their defensive front in Los Angeles is unlike what a lot of other teams are doing, and they did it their way. And I think that that's why this game was also so special because of you know some of the criticisms that you know as the tides are turning in the NFL, these teams are and Saints too. Let's throw them in there uh, for what they did to the Eagles. Like they're remaining true to what they're what they're good at. One of the things that it was great about that is the amount of creativity to watch where you just see two play callers. One is old and has been around forever. I don't think 60's old, I'm sorry. But, I mean, still, he's been around forever, and he is ahead of the game. Like, it's all about the whippersnappers and the bright up-and-coming Here's the interesting thing about that, though. Uh, Andy has Mahomes, who has arm talent that's off the charts. I mean, I think this kid is phenomenal. I can't decide how much of the Rams' offensive success formula is Goff and how, how much is McVay. Because McVay, I think, is an offensive genius. And when I watch Goff play, he's got arm talent. But I also keep in mind, he's got a coach that basically plays him like a puppet. And so Goff's success is born from his own abilities, but it's also the advantage of perhaps the best offensive mind in the league today. Okay, well, we're, what I would say on that is, I mean, Goff is a number one overall pick. Like the guy is an incredible. No, but talent. I'm saying I'm trying. I don't know yeah, how to how to uh, splice that no. exactly. Well, well I, to Jed's point, and I'll let you finish on that. But it's take a look at what happened in 2016 when Goff finally takes over and. 
you know, I mean, I think that that's something that people are going to point to where would this have happened, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is in that same situation. I think the raw talent with Mahomes is far greater and the athleticism, the arm strength. All we didn't see last night was a left handed pass. I was waiting for that. So there, there is a statistical way to sort of figure this out. And if you look at the, like, with play action, Mahomes is one of the very top in the league, and right there is Jared Goff, too. And to me, play action is your play caller and your scheme for the most part. Mm-hmm. As opposed, when we saw Case Keenum had great numbers with play action, that if you could scheme it properly and you have everyone execute it, you could put up big numbers. The other thing is, too, that Mahomes rarely has to throw to covered receivers. That even, even though his arm talent's absurd, he could throw it 75 yards and he could fit it in any window. The, the, the next-gen statistics tell you how often you're throwing into to coverage, and his is very rare, and I, I think that's not because he can't make those throws, because he does all the time. It's because they've schemed them really well. So what I loved was the two sort of chess masters playing that offensive game and trying to figure out different ways to get people open. I, I don't think that it was even these two teams can't play defense at all. I think it was mostly these two guys are just so far ahead of the game, and it's kind of funny that one is younger than his left tackle, and the other one's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, take a look. Football! Football! Oh, yeah, I got cut out there. Football, yeah. Let's take a break, uh, come back, and continue the football conversation. TCL Broadcast Studios. I'm hungry. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. What do you think? (laughs) It's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 100 southbound, we got a crash in Golden Valley uh, between Glenwood and 394. That's uh, causing a four-minute delay. 35E southbound in St. Paul, we've got a crash causing an extra seven minutes to your commute. That's between University and 94. And 169 southbound, we've got a crash in Eden Prairie between Anderson Lakes Parkway and Pioneer Trail. Prepare for 16 extra minutes there. or other things uh, that have happened in the past but with some of the moving pieces in and out of this offense do you think they're still learning how to play together even though we're this far in the season um you know i don't know if learning to play together is, is quite quite the thing um you know we do have a lot of guys going in different spots um but uh, uh what's the best way to say this it might be uh, a little volume maybe a little too much volume I, too much. Just you know, let's let's just play football. You know, you run a really good out route, you run the out route. He runs a good curl, you run a curl. You know what I mean? So maybe maybe we just need to to focus a little bit on on not trying to trick the other team quite so much. Oh, football man. hour. Courtney Cronin, Matthew Collars, Olgad, Manny Hill, Jonathan, all with you. All right, that was Mike Zimmer Monday day after press conference expressing some unhappiness, not really with the quarterback at all there. That, that was going after the offensive coordinator, John D. Filippo. And what we saw last night, okay, so let's start here. Courtney, you put out a tweet today. I did. About the, um, about the imbalance of the run and pass in last night's game. And I think that's absolutely fine if you can do that. But the other thing, and, and I think Collar tweeted about this one, was the Rams still ran, uh, had a ton of play action. Mm-hmm. So they, they created the perception that they were going to run, and then they simply didn't. But they at least created that. 
Where do the Vikings need to start here so that they are not becoming so predictable? Because that's that's my problem here. They don't run play action. They didn't, against Chicago, run screens, which they should have. They didn't run, but they became incredibly predictable. And I think that's probably Zim's frustration. And if that's the case, I think he's exactly right. Well, to play devil's advocate here, which I'm really good at, as as you know. Go right um, Trying to stay patient with the run in the first half. What did that yield them? Zero points. Mm-hmm. That, that gave them nothing. What are you supposed to do in that circumstance when you're constantly playing from behind? It makes it tough to stick with the run. And I mean, when you have Akeem Hicks blowing up every single play, I mean, I do think that the Latavius Murray third and one, where that was just a bad read, I think, by Latavius not to try to bounce something outside. You cannot run on that defensive front. Their interior guys are too strong. That just wasn't going to work for them. But, you know, whether it's the red zone turnovers, whether it's, you know, the opponents that you're going up against, I can understand the frustration here from what from what Mike Zimmer is saying about not being able to stick with the run because in a lot of circumstances they just can't. They've tried and they just are not not able to. So I was watching it back today with a great deal of frustration with the run game and watching them go back to the same types of runs at the same person, Mm -hmm. the second best player on their team, who's probably the third best defensive tackle in the game, Akeem Hicks. And it seemed like they were afraid to run at Khalil Mack, but then ran at someone else who's just as good or maybe even better at shutting down the run specifically in Hicks. Now, there's a there's a couple of it's like little things that would make me question it because play calling is something that when it doesn't work, we just go, ha, blew that one, didn't you? Like, right, okay, but maybe the process was right. I would never say running third and one at Akeem Hicks is ever right. That's one. Was well, that on Latavius Murray or no, is that on that's, play calling? That's him. That you can't run at the freaking best player on the field outside of Khalil Mack. So why right would you not tell him? T- I mean, tell me L- why Latavius would you? Not- doesn't bounce outside. That's not what he does. I, I don't understand that play call at all, and I don't understand running at him on second and one either. You get nine yards on first down and then slam it up the middle at Akeem Hicks twice in a row. It's just, like, senseless. Well, I agree. I don't think that Latavius should have been in there on third and one. I think that, I mean, even as Judd said, you could. This was seemed like a pretty opportune time to throw a quick screen to throw them off their spot and not make it so obvious, but... It's kind of interesting. I went back and looked at the screen numbers before the buy and to where they're at now. Before the buy, they had 141 yards on on all screen plays, uh, including you know as as we've talked about with the, what happened and how good they were in Week Five, forcing things out to the perimeter, creating that pseudo running attack when Dalvin Cook was not able to play. But of those 141 yards in the screen game, 22 of those before the buy belonged to a running back. 22. That was 31st in the league. That's ridiculous. And that's, I mean, this is for, you know, for as explosive as they were last year with the screen game, getting to the second level. Yes, the offensive line is worse this year. They still have athletic tackles. They can do it. You have Dalvin Cook back. You have Latavius Murray, who I don't buy the argument that they can't be ex- as explosive with Latavius as they can with Dalvin in certain circumstances. In the screens, I in agree. The screens. He can catch yes, it. he yeah, can he catch it. it. So what's the problem here? Well, this is where you start to look at John D. Filippo, and, okay. I, and I would say this too because the screen game, not using it, is just to me like you're tearing your hair out. Because, it's malpractice because 
Jarek McKinnon has more than 50 catches last year, and then even Murray added a couple of them. There was one big one in Cincinnati that he came in and made a play, and McKinnon was averaging over eight yards a catch mm-hmm. for a guy who actually gained more yards from behind the line of scrimmage. Like He had more yards after catch than yards for Jarek McKinnon, which shows you that it was all on the screens. So that that's that is I think entirely on the offensive coordinator for not figuring that out how to use that and then the other part of it is in the run game it was specific to me not just running or passing but how they ran the ball that Delvin Cook fumbles Kyle Rudolph is blocking Khalil Mack one on one that is insanity like Kyle Reef Kyle Rudolph can't block a linebacker one on one and you're putting him up against the best player on defense okay. in the league well the whole plan they went in have four hands on him. On, on yes. Cleo Mac, but you can't you can't do that every play. Quick question: Why on earth would you not have spent last week saying Morgan's out? Kyle can't block. We know that. We just know that. Yeah. Why would you not have at times at least ha- had a formation deploying an additional six lineman? Yeah. lineman. Yeah. That's like, what Shermer did. It's called a heavy package. It ain't new. Like it's not like I'm throwing out something that oh my god, Judd's this has been going on forever. So go what, heavy. What would you have done though? Because when when um, Compton gets hurt, he's 36 snaps in. He's like, my knee's gonna fall off. I can't be out there anymore. So Danny Isadora has to come in. Who do you you know? You're gonna throw but, Brett Jones out there? No, but but my point is when Compton was going to start, Isadora would have been my sixth guy. Yeah. Like that yeah. would have been my game plan move. going in. And then and then once he gets hurt, okay, that's trouble. But they didn't even have a coherent plan to do that. They didn't have anything. They had Riley Reef at one point being ragdolled by Khalil Mack, yeah, the which one, is multiple third downs with him one on one with Khalil Mack is insane. So, but explain it just can't be done. But how do you sit in Egan? These guys spend hours there. How do you see? You could have called me at home while I was petting the dog, and I would have said yes. Go heavy. I, I, I I'm, I'm not being a smart ass here. So this is not hard. What the New England Patriots did when I went back and watched this against the Chicago Bears on their first drive, everything was misdirection. Everything was catch and throw. And I expected that from the Vikings. And and this has been a Bill Belichick thing. And I know he's got Brady, okay? But it's been his thing for his whole career. Your best guy is not going to beat us. Whoever you come in with your best Pro Bowl, all-time great player, whoever that is, we are going to focus, number one, on shut him down, and then let everybody else try to beat us. Let's let Danny Trevathan try to beat us. You know what? Good player. Not Khalil Mack. Not Akeem Hicks. And they did the exact opposite. I mean, this team let Khalil Mack and and Akeem Hicks take over the entire first half of the game. And if not for their defense playing actually well, when I back and looked at it, I thought they did a really good job. Run defense first they, half was not that great, but besides and that. And third down defense, they were playing really soft. So. And, and Trubisky, but they weren't Trubis, a mess. But Trubisky makes a couple no. special plays that very few quarterbacks can make running the ball and things like that. They hold them to 14, but they allowed those two players to single-handedly take over that game because they simply just did not game plan well enough against them. And that's where I would say, okay, now you can start turning and looking at the offensive coordinator. There's very few times where I want to say, oh yeah, well the play calling or this or that. But in this case, I think it was a botch job entirely. You let their two best guys completely ruin your offense. One thing I do want to bring up, and I know this is kind of the the basis of this entire season, to when Cleo Mack joins the NFC North on September 1st, I'm sure everybody in that building thought, great, November 18th, let's start working on it now. Put it in the back of your mind because you're going to have to find a guy, to someone to block him. 
They don't have that. And and I think the biggest thing coming out of this game, and I know that we're going to get to Kirk Cousins because he's a huge part. He played horrible. Mm-hmm. Lowest lowest uh, passer rating of the season. I Looked think worse on tape than it did. even did it was, we And, you know, you talk is what Judd was talking about. Some of like, you know, they, this is an offense that, you know, tries trickery in a way and it throws guys off. Kirk didn't even understand the man zone indicator when Diggs runs out there on the second interception that's and he's wide first, open. That's not the first time. No, it's not. But I mean, You're right. they were doing things to try to make it easier for the quarterback. But the fact is, this offensive line is not built for games like this. It is not built to handle things like this. A very interesting stat, Rushers, Vikings rushers have been hit or contacted behind or at the line of scrimmage 43.6% of their rushes this season. That's the highest rate in the NFL. How are you supposed to generate a run game when that's happening? I don't, get, I don't care what direction you're running in. Basis of that, your guys are getting hit in the backfield before they can even have a chance. So great, this is a great point because we want to blame the offensive line, and they aren't good. Last year against the Detroit Lions, Rashad Hill starting at right tackle. Right, they lost Mike Rummers for a few games. Nick Easton goes out. It does end up hurting them. It does not end up killing them. They were still ahead for most of the game against the New Orleans Saints. A uh, screwball long snapper goes the wrong way and Drew Brees comes back, but they should have won that game, right? Like, they were able to find ways with Case Keenum as their quarterback and a beat-up offensive line that was playing Remmers at left guard at one point, playing Jeremiah Searles, playing Danny Isadora over in uh, uh, London against Cleveland. All these different things, combinations they had to use, and they were not a good offensive line. At full strength they were, but then not at full strength they're not. Yep. And they found ways to scheme around them. They found ways to scheme running. Aviant Collins comes in in week 17 out of nowhere. Yep. In the first drive, they plow the Bears right down the field with Mike Rammers playing his first game ever at right guard and with right tackle Rashad Hill starting, and they were able to find ways to do this, and they have not done that so far this so- year. And and just real quick, bigger point, the offense hasn't been good in the in the whole, it isn't. This isn't just Chicago. This is the whole thing. I looked at since week four what mm-hmm. they've done, and in terms of plays that result in a first down or touchdown, they're twenty sixth. So why wouldn't you, in going into a game like that, do what the Rams did last night in trying to sell play action? Especially you don't, when you have a to, quarterback to that's that good at it. You don't have to run off of it. You have to create the perception you might run. These are not difficult. Unless unless I am way over my skis here, I don't think I'm talking about difficult concepts and schemes. Why don't you? You have Dalvin Cook. He's a very nice player. Why don't you have your quarterback sell play action to buy mm-hmm. everybody? Because that's going to suck the Bears in a little bit, right? Which is all you want to do. This yep. is pro football. Yep. I want to suck them in. And then give my quarterback a little bit more time Mm -hmm. to throw downfield because my entire offense right now is built around Diggs and Thielen. And oh, by the way, if number 11 comes open, I might throw him the ball. And roll him away from Khalil Mack. Everson Griffin, zero pressures in that game. It was the first time that he's played the whole game in his career under Mike Zimmer, where he did not have a pressure. When you watch it back on tape, you saw this today, they rolled Trubisky the the hell away from Everson Griffin on almost every play. The problem is... And, you know, we talk about offensive line. You're talking about play calling. What is this boiling down to? The guy does not stay off. Of, he, does, he doesn't leave his spot mm-hmm. on play oh, action, he, too. He doesn't. That's no, the problem. He doesn't. And, and here's the problem. To, to your point of what happened last year when they had 
so many offensive line combinations because guys kept getting hurt. Nick Easton missed all that time. Um, Keenum moved. Keenum moved. Yep. And he moved really well. Yeah, and he was did. able yep. to buy time. And he made their job a lot easier because they knew, hell, you know, if 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 he doesn't, he's going to get out somehow. We don't have to hold it that long. I think with Kirk and just given, sometimes he looks like a statue back there. And he sometimes. did against the all Bears. The time. He doesn't move off his spot. That's why you have to move the pocket or you have to change his launch point because he is not going to do it himself. Really interesting tweet regarding Kirk Cousins that I want to tell you back about when we come back. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic one more time here. It is brought to you by T-Mobile. 100 northbound, we we uh, have a crash between 394 and Glenwood. That's in Golden Valley, uh, causing a six-minute delay. 94 eastbound, we've got a crash in Minneapolis just past the Lowry Tunnel, causing an eight-minute delay. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And 35W northbound, we got a crash in St. Anthony. That's uh, been there for a while, actually, between County Roads D and C. Uh, causing a 10-minute delay. Now at Metro, buy a select Samsung Galaxy or LG phone and get a second one for free on a new line. Metro by T-Mobile, plus sales tax and activation fee, requires qualifying plan, phone free after all instant rebates, free phone of lesser or equal value, see store for details and terms and conditions. TCL Broadcast Studios, Zolgad, Collar, Cronin, it is the football hour, and Brian has been on hold for quite a while. Brian, go ahead. Hey, by the way, I'm listening from uh, North Carolina as a direct result of a Courtney tweet about 45 minutes ago. Hey, Beautiful. Brian, thanks for following. <laughs> Way to go, Courtney. Well, who, says, uh, who says Twitter is only used for evil? Right. I, I, I try to create world change on Twitter. You don't, you don't have like a Russian fake account. Uh, yeah, you're not you? one of those bots who told me that I can't tweet about football because I've never played, are you? <laughs> That's my burner account. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the reason I'm calling, and uh, I realized three touchdowns last night uh, were as a result of a defense. And I know I may be overreacting here. And the Vikings are obviously built on the defensive side of the ball. Are the Vikings suddenly finding themselves in the position of being built on the wrong side of the ball, giving where the league suddenly seems to be? Thank you, Brian. Oh, I, Appreciate the call. I'm, I'm glad you waited for that because I think that's a great, great question. Questions. And I was thinking about the same thing because – there's a few teams in this league that are just playing different football, and you can see it in the stats, even where, like, the league for the percentage of drives where they score, this is where you can really tell where offense has changed here. It was somewhere between about 25 and 40%. So the worst teams were 25, and the best teams were 40 over the last number of years. This has shot up for the best teams, and the bad teams are still about the same. Bad teams are still 20, 25%. Best teams, 62%. Last year, it was like 40 for just, you've got the ball, how often you're scoring. Notice New Orleans punter that's become a gag that he never punts. Well, he really doesn't. They're scoring constantly, and it really does feel like if you have to go play one of these top offenses, they are so much better than playing a top offense ever before. So Bill Parcells is playing, say, you know, San Francisco or something. And maybe he's got a good chance because he's got Lawrence Taylor and the defense is that good. And even though the 49ers offense was revolutionary, the amount that it's better than your average ones was not as much as it is now, which is by a ton for those top four or five offenses. So I, I think the answer to your question is 
Not necessarily because they've won a lot of games under Mike Zimmer with this defense, with this core. But as we go forward, probably, yeah. I think this is why he's so adamant about needing balance. Like he said, it creates a much tougher job for your defense when they have to constantly pin their ears back and go pass rush. Like, because your offense getting off the field, if, it, if you can't generate the run, if you, you know, go constantly three and out and you're having to, you know, like it was in the on their five drives in the uh, first half of the Bears game, you know, what, have three punts, two turnovers? Like, yep. that makes your defense's job harder, which is why I think he's trying to say that they need to achieve some sort of that so they can honestly stay on the field longer. Until last night, I had said in a one-game playoff, I think that the Vikings' defense is good enough to stop the Rams and, and let's say, keep them to like 16 to 20 points. That was until last night. Yep. Now, I don't think so. The Rams now, score on over 50% of their drives. Yeah, I don't now I don't if you play in the NFC playoffs, especially on the road, if you play the Rams or Saints, you're going to need your offense to score 35 points minimum probably. And I don't I don't see because you are now playing if you're playing the Rams, you're now playing Goff, you're now playing Gurley, you're now you're now playing McVay, and you're also playing in a league where the officials are essentially told if there's any question, throw a flag. So if you're Rhodes and you grab a guy real quick, there's a flag. And I don't think that's going away in playoffs. I don't think there's going to be an adjustment to that. In fact, I think there might be more crackdown. So after last night, I don't know that the way that the Vikings are structured themselves can beat a team like the Rams or Saints. Here's another problem, is that they're not as good as they were last year on defense. So you've not only built your team on that side of the ball to try and stop these unstoppable forces, but also you're not as good as you were. I mean, Holton Hill has to mix in because Xavier Rhodes gets hurt again. And if we're being honest, Rhodes isn't anywhere close to how good he was last year or this year. He's been okay. He's been good. Last year, he was unbelievably good against all these great receivers. This year, just okay. Because time takes its toll on everybody. I, like you pointed out, like we were talking last night, I think last season took a lot out of him. Yeah, and, I think it did. And that's, I mean, from where he's at now, what, he's almost 30 years old? Like And... Anthony Barr gets hurt. Sure. Uh, Eric Wilson had a really tough game. I mean, he didn't play well at all. And Eric, Eric, Kendricks, Eric Kendricks has not been the version he was last year. I mean, this, in part, I'm sorry, because these teams are using misdirection all the time. Say, they're, they're attacking scheming, they're the middle linebacker. This is, yep. this is what happens in this league consistently. If I can't, if I can't within a season go into a dark room for a long time and come out with a game plan to beat you, I'm going to spend all spring and summer doing that. And you have the Vikings opponents basically spent all of their waking hours, I think, looking at film of the Vikings defense and saying, how do, do we beat this? And that that's what makes this so tough now. Because we are seeing teams do things to scheme, and they might be even slight adjustments, but they're the type of things that come out now and beat a team like this consistently and give them fits. So what, we, what we're presented with here is... An identity of a team that has been the same way for the last five, se- last four seasons since 2014, and now as we're going into this offensive explosion, I think we're honestly very much at the beginning of this. Like it's it's coming to a head eventually. It's exciting, and it's it's scary and it's exciting because you wonder the, the rest of the league's going to get left behind if you don't jump onto this ship before it like takes off from the port. I mean, you're going to be swimming to try to catch up, and it's just going to be. I think it's going to lead to a lack of parity. In the, in the NFL. I think that that's what's go, what it's going to be down the line. But for the Vikings' sake, 
can they have this same identity if they don't have at least an equal sort of impact on offense? Because I honestly Mm. tend to think that they're not as explosive as they could be offensively, not blaming any position group, not blaming any sort of, you know, deficiency with Kirk Cousins or with the offensive line. I don't think that I just tend to think that they're given Mike Zimmer's comments. And when you read between the lines there, I don't I mean, I, I just don't think that he wants them to be what these other teams are, because as a defensive minded guy, that scares him. I also think that they have a quarterback who's just not super good at executing a lot of things that he's being asked to execute, right? I mean, you, like your point about the you know offensive coordinator and, and now it seems to be butting heads with the head coach, and that's not a great situation for anybody. And Filippo might be thinking forwardly like, uh, guys, we have to pass on second and ten. Like, we can't the if you run on second and ten, it's like a death wish most of the time. And so then you've got Zimmer. Why aren't we running on on second and ten? So so now it almost feels like these these things aren't really just connecting well together. Where maybe Shermer was conservative enough that Case Keenum almost never turned turned the ball over. And so he figured, okay, we've got this great defense. He'll if he, as long as he doesn't turn it over, as long as we run the ball, we can win almost any game. And so that's how they dialed up their offense. You just need one big play from Thielen or Diggs, and you win. And with this in the league change, now it's different. Now you need Kirk Cousins to be really good. And I've got a stat that if you're driving, honestly, like hold on to the wheel, stay <laughs> focused. This is so bad about the Vikings offense that you need to brace yourself. Percentage of drives in which the team has produced points, the the Minnesota Vikings, are right behind the Denver Broncos and Case Keenum. They are scoring on a lower percentage of drives this year than Case Keenum and the Denver Broncos. Oh, my God. That's how bad this offense has been overall. And that's that's started, what, basically week five? Uh, Yeah, it's really started to go down a ton of points against the Rams week four, correct? So it started to trend... I just I'm keep going back to the fact that I think that their faith in Kirk because they paid him so much is is he's a top-notch QB who can do all these things and and what was among the keys with Keenum last year, right? Was the fact that they coached him up and put in game plans that he could execute. And I think the ask of Kirk right now is too much. And listen, I'm down on Kirk for for the picks, for the pick six, for the fumbles, those things drive me crazy. But you also have to come up with a happy medium offensively here to give him a chance to do what he does well. Because we know, we know he's not a top 10 QB, and we know that he has issues if asked to do too much and process too much. And it's as if the Vikings are saying, but we paid you all this, so you are Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. And he's not, and he's never going to be. So what frustrates me from a coaching standpoint is, at least give yourself a chance. And right now, they're not doing that. What was so good about him in 2016 when he was in Washington, the season that he had his best year? Was that the good O-line year? That was a good O-line year. Yeah. It was the year he had Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson. He had an incredible running game. Sean McVay, too. Right? Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jordan Reed. I mean, I can keep going. Everything was perfect. They brought him in here knowing at least, you know, from the people who are making the decisions about the person, other personnel they're bringing in here, they brought him in here knowing it wasn't going to be perfect. We're not going to get another offensive lineman because we we need depth in our secondary. And it turns out that that's important to them. And it was necessary to go out and get Mike Hughes. I think you could have probably gotten a corner later. We don't need to keep rehashing what we were talking about in April. 
But they brought him in here knowing it wasn't going to be perfect. And now they're asking, I think, the expectation him to outperform the expectations that would be normal for him on any other year. Agreed completely. Okay, so but here's a, here's a point about Cousins, though. He was supposed to be the guy who could overcome some stuff, though. Right, he was supposed to be. The plan was we need a better quarterback. So if our defense falters, he can beat the other team. Still, mm-hmm. that has not happened at any point this season. He it was also supposed to be well. You know, if people get hurt, then this is the guy who's more talented than Case Keenum and can overcome that stuff. And as far as their offensive production and the running game is a big part of that. Denver's got a good running game, but still, Denver is producing more than them and. It, that this is supposed to be the quarterback that you spend all the money on to overcome these problems. As much as they do impact him, and you are a thousand percent right with the offensive line point. That offensive line, 2016 Washington, is phenomenal, and this is the exact opposite of that. But he hasn't overcome anything at all, and that doesn't go on John DeFilippo completely. This also goes a lot on Kirk Cousins. And let me just read you the tweet that I would tease before the break. We're going to get to it after the break. We'll get to it now because okay. we, right, we were because we were gonna. Go I ahead. know we're late, and I'm sorry to Manny. Go ahead. But Diana Rossini, right. who you work with, said on Twitter this week that Jay Gruden always wanted Colt McCoy to be the starter in DC. What does that say about how they felt about Kirk Cousins? And I think we're seeing why. Because it was always uh, somebody else's fault with Kirk Cousins. Always the offensive line, always the defense, always something else. He couldn't overcome anything. And this is what has happened here. Anything that's gone wrong, he's made it worse and not better. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, wrap up the football hour. Uh, Purple Live coming up next 6 o'clock with Matthew Keller, Courtney Cronin. Our 1500 ESPN Twitter poll today, which is we've got 686 votes so far. Who's more to blame for how the 2018 season has gone for the Vikings? Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins, John Filippo. The voting right now, 10% say Cousins, so very low. 19% say Zimmer. 28% say Flip. 43% say my guy, Rick Spielman. And I tend to agree with that. I agree with that. If you're you're assessing it right now, because you're basing it on personnel, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, because personnel wins football games. At the end of the day, you have to have your players execute, and there's a lack of players that are capable to execute on the offensive line. I think I put Kirk Cousins number one, because he's the guy that you brought here to make up for the deficiencies, and he hasn't done it. And I read the tweet before about Jay Gruden wanting Colt McCoy instead of Kirk Cousins to start, which Colt McCoy's bad, right? Like, he's just a guy. He's a guy. He's just a guy who, like, had a few nice little games in Cleveland but never really did it much in Washington, and then Kirk beat him out for the job, and Jay Gruden stuck with with Kirk through that. But I think that what you're seeing is all the shortcomings amplified both by those other things. So the the lack of pocket presence is being made worse by a bad offensive line. Some of the inability to, which you're going to give an example of this, Courtney, the inability to read some certain types of coverages and then just throwing it anyway when you've made the wrong read, that is a thing that has happened with him for his whole career. And that was the pick six, right? And that was the pick six. And maybe you can explain that, Courtney. Well, on that one... You watch, you talk about the second interception. Yes. So the, yes. the right. one yep. at the 11 yard line. Well, Diggs run, he digs motions outside. They send him in motion. He's out on, I guess if you're looking at it, he's on the far right side. And 
that's your man zone indicator. That's supposed to tell you what the defense is going to do. I mean, the can re- you, can you hit the football? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I, I mean, said man zone yes. indicator oh, okay. because you said yeah. man zone indicator. Football, football, yeah, football. So Sage Rosenfels broke down his pick against Detroit a few weeks ago. He missed the the same sort of read. He missed this man versus zone yep. type of coverage, and this is the same thing that and happened. That's in that supposed one. to help quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. What has John D. Filippo been talking about since we met him in May at OTAs? That the pre the pre snap uh, excuse me the pre snap shifts the motions all the stuff that they did in Philadelphia some of the concepts he brought over from his time in Cleveland that stuff is supposed to help a quarterback. That stuff is supposed to help the quarterback know, okay, and trick the defense a little bit, kind of throw them off their toes. Not trick the quarterback? Yes. And, like, you know, when Kyle Rudolph goes outside and a guy follows him, that's supposed to give Kirk Cousins an example in his head of what's going to happen next. And the problem is it's like he doesn't see it or he just doesn't. He forgets what he's supposed to do in that moment, which I think is tough because, as Matthew said, Those are the deficiencies we just see continuing to happen. I wonder, too, if Mike Zimmer, when he's talking about the mistakes and that guys aren't listening, either they're not listening, um, they don't care. What's the other one? Um, Not listening, don't care. Don't care. There's another one. There's another one. Whatever. That's talking about the red zone turnovers specifically. I kind of wonder, too, if some of it is a decision-making from Kirk. And so... I mean that, and that's that's right. The decision making from him, not just on something like that where he throws a pick, but little things like third down. They they sent a three man rush at one point. Yeah, they had six dudes blocking three. He had all day, and yet he just threw the ball. Hold to that nobody. thought. Hold that thought. Because Purple Live Purple is up next, and this conversation can continue without me. I'm going home to my floor. See you guys. ESPN Radio Sports Beat. From Charlotte, here's Dari Noka. You'll see more big plays than you saw last night on Monday Night Football. You'll get more athleticism on display than you did watching those Rams and Chiefs each throw up more than 50 points. And you'll get it. 8 Eastern ESPN tonight. Two of the most exciting, highlight-making, athletic college basketball teams in the country facing off in Hawaii, Duke and Auburn. I know. If you're one of those who isn't a deep college hoops aficionado, you might say, well, I know Duke is loaded, but Auburn? Yes. Auburn. Watch them tonight. Their biggest obstacle might be perimeter size. Duke has it. Auburn doesn't have enough of it. But Bruce Pearl's experienced Tigers will press the you-know-what out of you and see if the talented but young Blue Devils can handle it. I know we said this about Duke and Kentucky, but I'll say it on this one. It's the most must-watch game of the season so far. Hopefully it lives up to the greatness it could provide. In 60 seconds, he's a star, but might be too hidden for you to know it. Getting knocked down on the football field makes you tough. But getting back up makes you tougher. At Goodyear, we call that determination. A willingness to put in more hours, more reps, and more heart to reach a bar that's sky high. Because the Goodyear blimp doesn't show up for just anybody. So don't be just anybody. Be blimp worthy. Goodyear. More driven. 
When a player doesn't like a contract, what do they do? Ah, they hold out? They hold out for a better deal. If only you could do that with your wireless plan, right? Well, with the Keep Your Own Phone plan from Straight Talk Wireless, you can get a much better deal. Keep your phone, your number, even your same network for a lot less than you're paying now. Without the contract or the holdout. Get the ultimate unlimited plan for just $55 a month on America's largest, most dependable 4G LTE networks. Straight Talk Wireless. Only at Walmart. Video typically streams at DVD quality at 60 gigabytes. We reserve the right to review your account for usage in violation of Straight Talk's terms and conditions. His team is 8-8, eight and eight, but because of him, it will likely safely make the playoffs. When you think of potential MVPs, he's not close to the conversation that naturally includes names like LeBron, Steph, KD, and AD. But if you listen into the NBA a little below the national TV surface, you will hear some soft chants of MVP, MVP, coming out of my city, Charlotte, North Carolina, because this city has a basketball superstar in it. Kimball Walker put up 43 points in last night's win over the Celtics, 21 in the fourth quarter. That came after he put up a franchise record 60 against the Sixers. Did you happen to catch who I just said those performances came against? Boston and Philly, two of the top four teams in the East. He's the engine, the energy, and the single greatest force on this team, and most nights on the basketball court, period. Oh, and he leads the entire NBA in scoring. Kemba Walker for MVP. It might sound strange, but don't shrug it off just yet. With the ESPN Radio Sports Beat, I'm Dari Noka. 1500 ESPN is KSTP AM St. Paul, Minneapolis. 94.5 KSTP FM St. Paul HD2. And streaming at 1500ESPN.com.